I guess I'll just get started. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'll keep streaming in, I know. Uh, we'll start with a brief prayer. Well, Christ our God, the light, the joy, and the beauty of the world, we pray that you will sanctify those who love the beauty of your house. For you are holy always, now, and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. So I'll talk about a consecration. Um, in full disclosure, I've never been to a consecration. So uh, I'm as ignorant as you, except that I've read about it. And I know a little bit more about it. But uh, <clears throat> the parish that I was at in Las Vegas, they were consecrated. But uh, it was back in 2005. And so um, the, that is a church that had already been consecrated. But I have the service book from that. And I'll be reading a little bit from the service. So, um, was everyone clear on what a consecration is, just sort of broadly? So, I'll, I'll read from this introduction a little bit. What is salvation for an Orthodox Christian? For an Orthodox Christian, salvation is union with Christ. This union with Christ is called the life in Christ. The center of this life in Christ is the holy altar as well as the services which are related to it, the sacraments. Because the holy altar is so important in the life of the Orthodox Christian, the service of consecration centers around the holy altar table. In simple terms, the consecration service is the baptism and chrismation of the church. So that's what a consecration is. And it begins on the eve before the actual consecration. There's a Vespers service. And at that Vesper service, the hierarch, the Metropolitan, arrives with the relics of the saints. And at that time, the relics are placed on uh, what's called a paten. It's the, the same little raised um, plate that we use for the body of Christ in the liturgy. And the relics are placed on that paten, and they're affixed with a little bit of wax. And they remain on that patent on the altar during the whole of the Vesper service. The altar is completely stripped bare. There's nothing on it except the, the, the raw wood or marble. And um, nothing is on the altar except just the, the patent with the relics and then a vigil candle as well. And during the, the Vespers service, there are hymns that focus on the saints, of the, the martyred saints, and then also on the saint of the particular church that's commemorated. The church does not have the relics of the saints for which they're named. That's not related. So, um, but uh, they're, they're the relics that the, the hierarch brings. In Las Vegas, they were uh, St. Pantalemon. Uh, they were uh, the child martyr Kirikos, who was, who was martyred uh, with his mother, Junita. And then um, the holy fathers from Sinai and Ratho, who were martyred, the monastic fathers. Yeah. Uh, the question is, how do they pick the relics that are um, placed into the altar? The hierarch does. Whatever relics the hierarch has, those are what are used. So like in our metropolis, around that same time, there would be a couple parishes that would have similar relics. So the, the hierarchs are given relics from the, the patriarchate or from Greece or wherever it may be. And then those are what are used. So, yeah, the important thing is that it is the, the relics of martyrs. Which martyrs? It's not, it's good to know, but that it's simply the fact that these are the. And why? As a, a more base question, why 
is this important? We understand why the Christians did it in the first century. They were in catacombs. But why, to our Western minds, the idea of you have to have the bones of a person who was killed on, in the altar, that, that seems a little bit foreign to us, right? Am I the only one that it seems foreign to? Okay. So why, why would we do this? What is it, what is it saying? Any ideas? Well, it's saying that, among many things, it's saying that a human being is a whole person. What do I mean by that? We are not spirits that are dwelling in a body. Our essence is not the spirit. Our essence is the body and the spirit together. And so when a person is close to God, their body becomes holy as well. And the testament to that are the countless saints who have incorrupt relics. Saint Spiridon from the 4th century, Saint John Chrysostom. When I was on Mount Athos, I venerated his ear, which is just flesh. It should, be, should have been gone in five years, and it's 1,500, 1,600 years that that's incorrupt. Saint Eurasimos, who will be commemorating this Saturday, uh, he's on the island of Kefalonia, and... Um, his relics are completely incorrupt, his entire body, skin on the body and everything. So uh, there are numerous testaments to this. And it is a reminder to us that a human being is body and soul. And we shouldn't have to say that, but we do need to say that. Because in the West, our faith has become so intellectualized, spiritualized, that it's not about our bodies. And when we face things like prostrating, like fasting, like standing during services, like crossing ourselves, all of these things are ways in which our body and our soul are united. It's not just my mind worshiping God, but it's my body worshiping God as well. So if a person has become greatly holy and very close to God, then their body has that holiness in it. It's not like a magic charm. It's God alone whose grace is working through that person, but God works through the physical world. He doesn't just send down His beams upon people, but He works in our bodies, He works in all of creation, and so these relics then are uh, sanctified by God, and then their sanctification passes on to the altar on which the the sacraments are performed. So, So that's why it's important. So as I mentioned, in the Vesper service, um, the, uh, the focus is on hymns about the martyrs as well as about the patron saint. Uh, there's a big theme of renewal because uh, the word in Greek for consecration is engenia, which is renewal. So what, think about what that means. So that in Greek, the word would just be renewal. We call it consecration. But it's a renewing of something that's already in creation, but it's being renewed by God into a holy, set-aside, and dedicated purpose. So that's what the consecration is, is a a complete renewal. So that theme is throughout the hymns. Um, The icon of the patron saint is decorated and processed throughout the church. And then there's an artoclasia service, which is the blessing of the five loaves. This is all during Vespers. And then the, the relics remain on the altar overnight. Again, the altar is stripped bare, nothing on it at all. So then the next morning, there's a normal orthros service, and then the consecration occurs between the orthros and the liturgy. Um, and so uh, the consecration, um, it begins 
by um, the Metropolitan offering a prayer together with all the faithful. And um, they, uh, they offer a prayer before they leave the church, and then they begin three processions around the church. And those processions are with everyone. So if you think, for those of you who are familiar with Orthodoxy, you think of Holy Friday night, um, where everyone goes out of the church. Or also on Pascha, everyone goes out of the church, but we don't do a procession as much. Um, but it's exactly as that. No one is left in the church. Only one person, one priest is left in the church. And we'll find out why in a little while. But everyone else is outside with the procession. So imagine this procession. All of the altar boys, the metropolitan, all of the priests, the, uh, the discos, the paten that contains the relics is being processed at the center of it all. And they go around the church and the hymns that they sing are... Holy martyrs who fought the good fight and received your crowns, intercede with the Lord to have mercy on our souls. Glory to you, Christ our God, the boast of the apostles, the joy of the martyrs whose preaching was the consubstantial trinity. Pop quiz, does that sound familiar to anyone? (laughs) These are the hymns from the wedding service. They're also the hymns from the ordination service. In both of these instances... Um, this is sung during a procession around. So in the wedding service, it starts. it's called the Dance of Isaiah because the first hymn is Dance Isaiah, Rejoice. And they go around the table on the solea. And then the second hymn is the one I just read. And then the third hymn is the one I just read. Likewise, with an ordination, this occurs inside the sanctuary, the priestly ordination, and they process three times around the altar exactly the same way. Instead of being brought with their godparent like in a wedding, they're brought with two priests who hold them arm in arm and walk them around the altar. God willing, you'll see, for those of you who probably saw deacon's ordination, uh, but to see a priestly ordination as well. This is sung there. And, um, and then it's sung here in this service as well. So this is what is sung when everyone first leaves the church, and then when they're going around the church, outside, they sing these hymns. Be renewed, be renewed, O Jerusalem. Which is like uh, the hymn that we sing um, in the post-Paschal season. Shine, shine, new Jerusalem. Because your light has shone and the glory of the Lord has come upon you. This house has been founded by the Father. This house was made firm by the Son. This house has been renewed by the Holy Spirit, which illumines and supports and hallows our souls. In early times when the temple was consecrated, Solomon offered to the Lord sacrifices of animals and holocausts. When you are pleased in us, O Savior, to forego the formalities and let the truth be known, the whole world offers to you the bloodless sacrifice to your glory, because you are the Lord of all things and make everything holy through your Holy Spirit. And then this third hymn. The consecration is an old honored custom. And a good one. It is, however, proper to honor new churches through the consecration as an island dedicated to God. As Isaiah says, we have acquired these sites from the congregation of the Gentiles and established them as churches on the solid foundation of God's name. This is why we are celebrating this consecration in a spiritual manner. So these are the hymns that are sung in their first procession around. And then they end up at the front of the church again. 
and there's an epistle that's read and a gospel that's read, both of which relate to uh, the church. The first gospel that's read is that profession of St. Peter, and then Christ says, you are... um, my foundation upon this upon this rock I will build the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And then they sing more hymns and go around a second time and then again an epistle and gospel and then a third time going all the way around the church with all of the people and then back to the the entrance of the church and at that time another epistle and gospel. So um, when the procession reaches the the holy the main doors uh, the, the third time after an epistle and gospel are read, then the Metropolitan standing in front of the doors of the church, the doors that are still closed, begins a short dialogue. In this dialogue, it represents Christ the King entering and pro- proving His authority in and over His church. The pr- Metropolitan raises his hierarchical staff, the staff that he carries, and he knocks on the door of the church three times. So uh, for those of you who may have had an experience in the Antiochian Archdiocese, on Pascha this dialogue occurs. It's not uh, traditional in the Byzantine tradition. Uh, This is just for consecrations. But the dialogue goes like this. The bishop pounds on the door with the staff and he says, Open, open the gates and let them remain open forever and let the King of Glory enter. And then that one priest who remained inside the church, he says, Who is this King of Glory? This echoes Psalm 24. Um, and the Lord, uh, the bishop says, The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts, He is the King of glory. And they, this happens three times. And then after the third time, the church, because it's, it's as though it's a baptism, the church actually has a godparent. So one of the, the founders of the church. And that godparent goes forward with the bishop, and together they put the keys into the door and open the door for the first time. So the service is also called a threnixia, which means the opening of the doors. And so then the doors are opened and everyone processes inside the church. So the Metropolitan places those holy relics that he's been processing with, he places them on the holy altar, and he uncovers it for the first time. It's had a covering, much like in the great entrance that we have. And he places the relics into a small reliquary, which is a little box, a silver or gold box. And he places them inside of there, and then he mixes them with holy myrrh, holy chrism. Um, And chrism, as you may know, chrism is what we use commonly for chrismation service. It's in the baptism, it's one of the seven sacraments, and it's one of the three that a person receives on the day of their baptism. They're anointed with holy chrism. Holy chrism is made at the ecumenical patriarchate every maybe ten years or so. They make a huge batch, and it's oil that's mixed with many fragrant spices, all representing the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so that fragrant chrism or holy myrrh is then um, placed upon these relics. And that mixing is, uh, is symbolic of the way in which Christ is present in the martyrs' lives. We never forget who is the one acting in their lives. It's Christ alone. So then um, the uh, Metropolitan then says this prayer. The Lord our God, who has bestowed upon the holy martyrs who suffered for your sake this glory also, that their relics should be sown in all the earth and in all your churches, 
that they should bring forth fruits of healing. Do you, the same Master, who are the giver of all good things, through the intercession of the saints whose relics you have graciously permitted to be placed in this venerable altar, enable us without condemnation to offer unto you thereon the bloodless sacrifice. And the bloodless sacrifice always refers to the Eucharist, because it is exactly the same as the sacrifice of old, except it's no longer with blood, it's no longer the blood of animals, it is Christ alone who is offered. And grant us all the, those petitions which are unto salvation, vouchsafing also to the relics therein of those who have suffered for your holy name, that they may work miracles unto our salvation. Any questions so far? So we've gotten through the first part of the service, procession around the church three times, and then entering into the church, the relics are placed into the reliquary. This reliquary is anointed with holy chrism. And then this uh, reliquary is placed into the altar. So any altar that is to be consecrated, this is where our altar wouldn't suffice right now. It would have a cavity in the very center that's opened up. And in that cavity, this reliquary is placed. And then all around that is this wax mastic um, uh, combination. It's almost like a cement that cements it in there. It's completely covered with that. And then um, crushed marble is placed on top of that. And then a pl- on top of that is a, a marble slab. And then uh, if it's a wood altar, then a piece of wood on top of that. So the relics, as you can imagine from all of that, they're permanent. They're never taken out. And until Christ comes again, that altar will stand, by God's grace. Certainly there are times and situations, as in Russia, where churches were torn down and horrible things were committed. But the desire is that the altar stays there in that location, and that is a church into eternity. So it's a very, uh, very solemn thing that is occurring. So then after that's placed into the center of the altar, then the altar receives its, its baptismal garment slash burial shroud, the katasarkion. And again, that means, sarks means uh, flesh. So it's the thing that goes on the flesh. Or again, like a burial shroud. And that's also symbolic of Joseph of Arimathea who had the, the fine linen garment. And that white cloth is placed on the altar and then it has cords under it that uh, tighten it around the altar. And that cloth stays on the altar forever. It's never taken off. Forever the altar remains in its baptismal garment. So then... Um, At that point, then, the prayer of consecration is read. And the prayer of consecration is uh, this prayer. It's a little bit long, but it's uh, very much worthwhile. So I'll read this. O God, without beginning and eternal, who calls all things into being from nothing, who dwell in light unapproachable and have the heavens for your throne and the earth for your footstool, who give a law and pattern to Moses and and inspired Bezalel with the spirit of wisdom, and did enable them to complete the perfect building of the tabernacle of your covenant, wherein ordinances of divine worship were instituted, which were the images and types of the truth, who did bestow upon Solomon breadth and greatness of heart, and thereby did rear, rear of old the church, 
And upon your holy and unlaudable apostles, you renewed the service in the Spirit and the grace of the true tabernacle. And through the same, O Lord of hosts, you did plant your churches and your altars in all the earth, that there might be offered unto you consecrated and bloodless sacrifices, who also have graciously been pleased to found this church in the name of, and then the name would be St. John the Baptist, or whatever the name of the church is. To your glory and to the glory of your only begotten Son and of your all-holy Spirit, do you, the same immortal and generous King, call to mind your bounties and your mercies, which are from everlasting, and abhor us not, who are defiled with a multitude of sins, neither annual... Neither annul your covenant because of our uncleanness, but disregard our iniquities and strengthen us with the grace and inspiration of your life-giving and Holy Spirit, that without condemnation we may accomplish the renewal of this church and fulfill the consecration of the altar therein, that therein blessing you in psalms and songs and mystical rites we may always magnify your loving kindness. Yes, O Master, Lord and God, The hope of all the ends of the earth, hear us sinners who make our supplication unto you, and send down your holy and all-worshipful and almighty spirit, and sanctify this church and this altar. Fill it with the light everlasting. Elect it for your dwelling place. Make it the abode of your glory. Adorn it with your divine and supernatural gifts. Appoint it for the haven of the tempest-tossed, for healing of passions, for a refuge of the weak, for an expelling of evil spirits. Let your eyes be upon open upon it day and night and let your ears be heedful of the prayers of those who shall enter therein in your fear and in devoutness and shall call upon your all honorable and worshipful name that whatsoever they may seek of you you will hear it in heaven and above heaven above and will show mercy and be gracious unto them preserve it indestructible even unto the end of the ages and show forth the holy altar therein an altar of your holy things through the power and dwelling of your Holy Spirit, glorify it above the mercy seat according to the law, that the holy offices which shall be celebrated thereon may attain unto your holy and most heavenly and supersensual altar, and obtain for us the grace of your most pure overshadowing. For we trust not in the service of our unworthy hands, but in your unspeakable goodness. And we hear in that prayer that this altar is then united with the altar in heaven. They become one, that the prayers that are offered there are transported up to heaven and are offered there before the throne of God. So the Metropolitan then at this point takes soap and washes the table, washes the surface of the table with holy water. And then the table is washed and, and wiped dry with a sponge. And then the Antimensians are blessed. So an Antimension is a cloth And that cloth is what, uh, in each liturgy, is opened up. It it remains under the Gospel book. And at a certain part in the liturgy before the great entrance, that cloth is opened up. And so if you ever look into the altar during the great entrance, you might be able to see on the altar there's an open cloth, mostly white. And that cloth is really a, a symbolic of the burial shroud, because this is where Christ's body and blood are offered. And um, so the Antimension, as it's called, it has the signature of the Metropolitan upon it. And this is like the permission slip to perform any sacraments. 
So no, no sacrament can be performed without an antimincium. So for instance, if we do like the women's retreat up at a, a retreat center, among the things that I bring, I have to bring an antimincium. I cannot perform the sacrament without that. Um, yeah. No, it's the churches. That's a good question. Do I have my own? No, it's the churches. But most churches have more than one. Because sometimes if uh, sometimes there are spills, so an, an antimincian needs to be replaced. And just over time, they get replaced. So at the consecration service, that's when these are blessed. So multiple antimincia are blessed on that altar at that moment. And the way that they're blessed is that the, the altar, now having been washed clean, is now chrismated. It receives the holy chrism all over the altar. And three times, just like in a baptism, Alleluia, 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 and then again and again. So um, then that chrism is then wiped all over the altar with the antimincia and wiped clean with that. So that's how they receive their blessing. Um, so on any antimincion, it has a stamp that says where this was consecrated. Like our, our antimincion is from Life-Giving Spring Monastery down at St. Nicholas Ranch when they had the consecration of the main church there. So, any questions so far? There's a lot of information I'm offering. Okay. So um, an antimincian mean, literally means in place of the table. So this is the thing that is, is um, placed there. So with uh, the priest standing close by, the metropolitan places the antimincy on the four corners of the altar and then takes rose water and fragrant wine and mingles them and pours it on the altar table three times. After the myrrh has been, now also this fragrant rose water, making the sign of the cross and again wipes the table with the antimincia. The metropolitan um, then... Uh, sorry... So then at the four corners of the altar table, um, there are four cloths that are placed with icons of the four evangelists. So if you've ever seen on the Gospel book, uh, if you are here doing Orthros, which all of us should be, uh, <laughs> there's a Gospel book, which is on the altar. And that Gospel book, on the front it has the resurrection, on the back it has the crucifixion. But on both sides, in the four corners of the cover and of the back, are the four uh, evangelists. And they're usually pictured with those four symbolic figures from Revelation, um, because each evangelist is, is associated with those four figures. So there are four icons that are placed on the four corners of the altar, and those are affixed again with the wax mastic, so it's like a cement that is put on. Uh, and then, I'm sorry, so all of that was before the catasarchion was placed on. So now then the, the burial cloth is placed on. I, I said that in the wrong order. So, um, And again, that will never be removed again. So um, then at that point, um, the, the holy altar cloths are placed on, like what you see on our altar. And then everything else is placed on. The tabernacle that I mentioned, the artophorion, which is the, uh, the Greek word for the tabernacle. That's that little temple thing in the back. And inside that are the reserved gifts for visiting those who are homebound or sick. So the body and blood of Christ are in there. And for that reason, the vigil candle is there. Um, and then uh, the candlesticks are placed on and all of the other furnishings. And then the, uh, the Metropolitan senses the whole altar and then senses the whole church. And 
then at this point, um, he has a, a long stick with a sponge at the end, and that sponge is dipped in the holy chrism. And then the entire church is chrismated. So he goes around the church, goes up to uh, icons, and puts the sign of the cross on the icons, and all the icons in the church, however high up they may be. So in, in Las Vegas, I remember when I first walked in, you could see the little sign of the cross on the icons, because it, it just stays there. So, um, And then uh, these prayers are read. So this is a prayer once the, the altar has been completely covered. O Lord of heaven and earth, who with wisdom ineffable founded your holy church and appointed the order of the priesthood upon the earth for the antitype of the angels' service in heaven, do you, O munificent Lord, receive also us who now make our petitions unto you, not as being worthy to ask such great things of you, but as the exceeding excellence of your goodness may be manifested. For you have not ceased in manifold benefits to be gracious unto mankind, and as the chief of your benefits. You have bestowed upon us the coming in the flesh of your only begotten Son, who is seen upon the earth, and shedding forth the light of salvation upon them that sat in darkness. You did offer, did, he did offer himself a sacrifice for us, and became a propitiation for the whole world, making us to be partakers of his resurrection. That after he has ascended into heaven, he endured, and, and after that he ascended into heaven. He endured his apostles and disciples, and as he promised with the power from on high, which is the Holy Spirit, adorned and almighty, who proceeds from you, our God and Father, through whom also they became mighty in deed and word, administering baptism unto the adoption of sonship, building churches, establishing altars, and instituting the laws and precepts of the priesthood. And we sinners, having preserved the tradition thereof, do fall down before you, the everlasting and compassionate God, and implore you, fill with your glory divine, this church erected to your praise, and show forth the holy altar therein, set upon as the holy of holies, yourself, that we who stand before it, as also before the fearful throne of your kingdom, may serve you uncondemned, sending upon you, sending up unto you petitions for ourselves and for all the people, and offering bloodless sacrifice to your goodness, unto the remission of sins, both voluntary and involuntary, unto the governing of our lives, the attainment of a good life, and the fulfilling of all righteousness. And this prayer is said while the, the uh, hierarch, the metropolitan, is kneeling before the altar. Um, so then at this point, the metropolitan invites the faithful to come forward and offer a few drops of oil into the vigil lamp. And so this is symbolic of every person there contributing to this, set, this uh, consecration. So they each offer oil into the lamp. And I neglected to mention another thing that goes with the reliquary into the altar. There are little scrolls with the names of everyone in the community, those who have departed and those living. And so those names are eternally commemorated in that altar. So may God grant that all of us are there. <laughs> and if we're not, we'll still be listed just on the other list. <laughs> so. <laughs> So the vigil lamp then is lit, and the vigil lamp is to stay lit properly into eternity, never to go out. So um, that vigil lamp stays burning next to the artiforium. And then uh, all during this time, the Metropolitan has been wearing a white robe called the Savanon, 
and that savonon at the end of the service is then cut into pieces and given out as blessings to those who are there at the service. Uh, if you've ever heard of a filacto, I don't know if you've heard of that, probably not. Um, it's a, a little uh, cross that uh, is often pinned to infants when they, they're too young to wear crosses, so they pin this on and it's a cross. Inside that properly is a piece of the savonon from a consecration. So... Um, and then that's the end of the consecration service. Uh, and then at that time, uh, the, the hierarch offers the blessed is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, now and ever, into ages of ages. Amen. And thus begins the liturgy on the consecrated altar. So we got through it. Any questions about any of that? Anything about the, the homily as well? So I, I might have said some things. Yeah, go ahead. How do, how do we put the drops of oil into the... I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, the question is, how do they put the drops of oil into the vigil? I'm guessing that before the service, they've all been given a little a little vial that they can drop in. Yeah. So, yes? And, and well, I remember this from when uh, St. Nicholas was consecrated, but I'm not sure yeah. this is the right time. When the Metropolitan comes in, is he dressed? He's kind of dressed... Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the very beginning, the Metropolitan is, com- is vested. He's vested during the Orthros service, so just before the, the consecration. But then during the consecration, he has his vestments, and then this white robe is placed on top. So, yes? Yeah. Yeah, the question is, when the church is consecrated, does the name remain? Yes. Yeah. So we would still be John, St. John the Baptist. Yes? I understand that the consecration is in a statement of permanence. Yes. And um, that's why you don't consecrate a church until you're sure it's going to yeah. be Is there any official way to deconsecrate the church? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. So that's why that kind of decision needs to be made very, uh, very seriously. So the question was about, is there a way to deconsecrate a church? I would imagine under times of duress that perhaps the faithful tried to get the relics out of the altar before people came and tore down a church or something like that. But um, I'm sure there's something that a, a metropolitan can, could do if a church just has completely died and dwindled in numbers, but there's not a service per se. They would, it would just be a removing of all of these things. So, yeah. Related question. Sometimes Orthodox churches move in to churches that have ceased to have members, yeah. taken over other churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if one of our churches kind of died out, if there would be a way for anybody else to use that church if it's been consecrated. Yeah, it's a difficult question. How does a church get used otherwise? So we, we pray that that doesn't happen. So, um, but unfortunately, because unlike in Orthodox countries where there's always Orthodox people around, here it could be, and this happens sometimes, where a church was built in the downtown of an area that that neighborhood has gotten really bad, and the people decide to move their church somewhere else. So, I'm sure there is a protocol for that, but um, I'm not sure what it is. So, God willing, we don't experience that. We're already out in the burbs. So, <laughs> yeah. How does one come by a relic? That's an excellent question. Um, Relics are everywhere throughout the church. 
But uh, we live in a place where we don't have a lot of martyrs, so we don't have a lot of relics unless they're imported, if you will, from Russia, from Romania, from Greece, from the Holy Land. So um, at any monastery and at many churches, they would have relics. Um, and so they're, you know, handed down or given to a church. A church might request, like the church in Roseville, California, they requested from New, from St. Anne's Skeet on Mount Athos to have relics of St. Joachim and Anna, and their request was granted. And so they received relics from Mount Athos, and now in Roseville uh, they have a, a church that's dedicated to St. Anna, and they have the relics of Joachim and Anna. So who are well-known intercessors for those who are trying to conceive, but uh, also uh, for any intercessions. So good questions. Yes? So then, it sounds like if you do make a request for a certain saint, you could be told... So we, yeah, we don't, when it comes to the relics of the altar, we don't request... Yeah, we don't request what saints. It's, it's whatever saints the hierarch brings. As far as us having relics to venerate, and I, I want to put a little parenthetical here, I am very remiss because I have relics in my office that the church has already had, but I don't have a proper reliquary um, to place them in so that we can all venerate them. So we have relics, and many other churches have relics. Those are things that could be requested. Like when I went to Mount Athos, I could have asked a monk you know, at, a, at a monastery, may we have you know, a, a portion of the relics of this saint? And they may say yes, they may say no. So, um, but as far as what's in the altar, that's brought by the hierarchy, and it, it's whatever the hierarchy brings. No, no, the church's name does not reflect. Yeah, it's, it's fairly uncommon that a church named after a saint also has relics of the saints. Uh, it does exist, definitely, like St. Anna and Roosevelt, but it's uncommon. St. Nectarios in uh, Covina, California, also has the, the relics of St. Nectarios. So, other questions? Anything? Yes? I have to go back and look and tell you about it. I know we have St. John Chrysostom. Uh, I know that we have relics of St. John Maximovich's vestments. I don't believe we have relics of him. Um, and this is uh, if someone would take this upon their heart to help me to acquire and properly fit a reliquary, I'd be glad for that because I would love to be able to bring these out every Vesper so that we can venerate the relics of these saints um, but until they're in their proper casing, they shouldn't be they shouldn't be brought out so yeah, so come see me afterwards. <laughs> Properly, a reliquary is made out of silver or gold, so this isn't a small venture. Um, but it's something that is fitting and right for these holy saints. So, Any other questions? Thank you very much. We've got a tumbler over there. <laughs> okay. And... Um, and uh, let us continue to remember, as I said in the homily, that when we enter our church, it is a blessed and holy space, but it is not complete. Okay? Our mission is not done. And all of you here in this room and everyone who's a part of our community is a part of that forward movement to creating a permanent space that will glorify God. 
and one that people will walk by or drive by and go, wow, that's a church. Even if it's tiny, at least they'll know that's a church. Okay, so whatever that may be. May God bless us in that and grant us his wisdom as well. Please rise. Christ our God, you are the illumination, the wisdom, and the power in this world. We pray that you grant us your wisdom and discernment as we seek to glorify you by offering a house to you that is worthy of your glory and of your beauty. For you are holy always, now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. Thank you.